Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. Welcome to Melody Podcast Radio. I'm Ethan Luck. And uh, a Merry Christmas to you all. We just uh, had Christmas uh, over here at the Luck household. Really mellow, really chill, which is the way I like. And uh, yeah, if you guys celebrate it, I hope you had a great holiday. We decided to, uh, you know, Clint throwing out another part of his Beatles series, and I went ahead and decided, hey, why not jump in on the fun, and I am going to throw out my top 10 Beatles songs. So if you're listening for the first time, this is an All Metallica podcast, and uh, we're going to talk about the Beatles. <laughs> I apologize. Um yeah, so top ten. This is uh, this was tough to narrow down because uh, if you're a Beatles fan like myself and Clint, there's uh, there's a lot more than top ten in their catalog. There's a lot of a lot of good stuff out there. I mean, I would even go on record to say some of their what maybe people consider their worst songs are still pretty damn great. And uh, there's still nobody like them. No one will ever be like them. No one will ever ever touch them, in my opinion. Uh, two of the greatest songwriters of all time, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, of course. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about the Beatles for a little bit. This is really fun. Uh, it was fun to, to, to put together a top 10. Uh, putting it in order was not was not uh, super easy. Choosing the 10, well, I started at about 15 and narrowed it down. I whittled it down. I, I got the, the old chisel out and whittled down like a, like a little piece of wood, a little piece of mahogany, if you will. And uh, I got down to 10, and it was tough. But uh, we're going to go through those. I'm really excited about that for you guys to hear it. If, you, if you're not really a Beatles fan, then maybe just uh, stick around and check it out. And um, I wanted to start um, just to briefly talk about this Get Back documentary because this is what Clint and I have been kind of gushing over, and Paul, of course. Paul. And uh, I've noticed that you know a lot of people, uh, and I've mentioned this before, that maybe aren't musicians, songwriters in a band, etc., didn't really enjoy it because it is very long. It's three three-hour parts, give or take. And it's just it's just fly on the wall footage, you know. I think people see the documentary and they think, oh, there's going to be all this interview footage, and they're you know it's going to be like this timeline, you know, of them recording "Let It Be" and all that stuff. And it it, it was you know a timeline, of course, you know, it was chronological in that in those few weeks that they recorded it, and we're going to film their their live show and stuff. But yeah, um, as a musician and someone who's written you know not that many songs, but has written a decent amount of songs. <clears throat> I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I felt that it was something that most bands don't ever show. And Clint and I have t- talked about this. I don't remember if it was on the show or not, but the only other documentary we can think of that that pulls back the curtain this far is some kind of monster. Because um, in Get Back, I mean, we see a lot of stuff that 
most bands wouldn't want people to see. You know, we see the Beatles struggling, you know, um, as far as, you know, composing songs and stuff like that to the point where they're just goofing around or they kind of take a break and they go off and eat a snack or drink some coffee or smoke a cigarette or whatever. You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden some, uh, you know, a spark hits and all of a sudden you see Paul McCartney in the background kind of just working out, you know, the song Let It Be or Get Back or whatever. And so it's really cool for me and someone like Clint or Paul to to watch this, you know, every minute of it I really enjoyed because that's, that's what I experienced growing up playing in bands and writing records and, and stuff like that is sitting in a room together and maybe sometimes you you, you strike gold and, and things go smoothly and you, you finish a song and other times, you know, you're you're at each other's throats, maybe, um, which we didn't really see that much of that in this. You know, it seemed like they were pretty uh, excited to be in the room together. But of course, there's always you know headbutting to to happen. But yeah, that that was just that's what has always happened in in my life. You know, even just being on the road working for bands or playing for an artist or whatever. You know, it was it was cool to see this side of things in, that we've never really seen from the Beatles. You know, and there was and there was a documentary about this put out years and years ago, decades ago at this point, and it painted a whole a, a different picture that, that things were kind of gloom and doom, and it was the end, and you know, it was very sad and all that stuff. But you know, everything we saw that Peter Jackson put together was pretty uplifting and pretty happy, and and you can tell how much they loved each other and how much they loved working together. You know, and and even the the times of mild conflict. You know, they, they, it wasn't anything like we saw in some kind of monster with James and Lars yelling at each other and stuff like that and slamming the door that will not slam. But uh, I really enjoyed it, and, and and I encourage everyone to watch it, even if you're not a musician. Um, I want non-musicians and non-writers, non-artists to watch it and enjoy it and um, come in, at, you know, come in from a different perspective of maybe, hey, this is just this is just footage as is. This isn't. Like like I said before, this isn't you know someone narrating it, or there's not like current interview footage of like Paul and Ringo. Um, it's just it is what it is. It's 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 a fly on the wall. It's it's a glimpse into the you know the 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 genius that is the Beatles, and I really enjoyed it. I I, I already want to watch it again. You know, I, I'd like to get together maybe with Paul and Clinton rewatch it because I was that fascinated by it. And because of this documentary, I know for, I can't speak for Paul, but I know that it has sent me and Clint down this very deep rabbit hole of just getting back into the Beatles in a way that we haven't been before. I think, uh, of course we've never not been into the Beatles, you know, since we've discovered them at, at whatever age, but you know, for me, I've just, that's all I've been listening to is that and Tom Petty because of the, uh, and this is another documentary I can't recommend enough is the, the wild making of the wildflowers album documentary, which is free on YouTube on the Tom Petty YouTube page. Um, but with the Beatles, I mean, that's, for the ninety percent of what I've been listening to since I finished that documentary has been the Beatles, and I, th- I think in a way I'm hearing things differently, um, and that it might just be with age as well. Um, certain albums or songs I haven't listened to in a couple of years that I may be hearing differently now, but but especially listening to stuff that's on Let It Be or that maybe ended up on Abbey Road, I, I don't know. I'm hearing things a lot differently, and it's 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 been a really deep experience. Is the best way I could describe it. <laughs> um, but anyways, all that to say, th- this is the reason that, you know, me and Clint are obsessed with music. Um, the Beatles are one of the many examples. Um, and this is also a huge reason why, you know, Clint decided to do a, you know, multi-part Beatles series. And uh, why I'm deciding just to throw this out there to, to get in on the party. So my top ten, of course. So let's get on with it, shall we? Shall we? Yes. Um, so my number ten is actually going to be 
the first song I ever heard by the Beatles. You might think that might be my number one, but uh, it is not. It's just, but it's very important to me. Now, again, a top 10 is really hard to, to put together for the Beatles, in my opinion. This being my number 10 doesn't mean I don't really like it. It's just, I mean, it's still one of their best songs, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I think in a sentimental way, I had to include this, you know, for sure, because I don't remember what age I was. Um, I'm sure my dad played the Beatles for me when I was a kid. I remember my dad had a really cool vinyl collection. Rest in peace. That's long gone, unfortunately. I do have some of it. But um, this was the first song my dad showed me, and it was after I started playing guitar. And this is the song he showed me to give me the example of the use of minor chords. And the song is We Can Work It Out. Now, what's crazy about this, another fun fact about the Beatles, this is insane. There are so many non-album singles they had that were just huge hits. Um, at, one, you know, at one point, I think it was in 1970 or 71, they put out um, the Hey Jude compilation, which was a lot, of, a lot of their, not all of them, but a lot of their non-album singles that were huge songs, like the song Hey Jude. I mean, come on. It's just insane to think that Hey Jude was not on an album. Um, but that's kind of how it was back in the 60s. You know, they would be recording like, hey, just let's throw out that song as a single, you know. Um, and so this this song, you know, We Can Work It Out, uh, was one of those songs. And the middle section of the song goes to minor with a brief part in 3-4 time. And that's what my dad showed me to kind of show me like what, what minor chord, how minor chords could work in a song. And it just blew my mind. I was just like, wow, I can't believe this. And the harmonies are so perfect and all this stuff. And that little three, four part, if you know what that means, it's basically, uh, if, if, you know, I'm going to clap my hands here. If this is one, two, three, four, right? If three, four time comes in, it's this one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, you know, or one, two, three, one, two, three. So, uh, and that blew my mind too, because I don't know what odd time signatures were. I didn't really, I guess, I wasn't enlightened by that uh, until probably Rush or Soundgarden. But anyways, this was the first song my dad ever, you know, played me uh, to my memory. Um, like I said, I could have been a lot younger, like, you know, in my single digit age and heard the Beatles and not remembered. But this is the one that first connected with me that my dad played for me. Um, but yeah, again, uh, it came out as a single uh, along with Day Tripper. And it's really cool because, you know, Paul McCartney wrote the main uh, verse and chorus of the song. And there's a, uh, a great quote from him that I looked up because uh, the song was unfinished and he took it to Lennon. Uh, he contributed basically the middle section, which is the minor part, which is my favorite part of the song. And uh, Clint's mentioned this before, but that but the two parts of the song are a really good reflection of each writer. Kind of more uplifting, fun, major key sounding Paul. And then you got the minor stuff with, with Lennon. Um, but anyways, Paul says, I took it to John to finish it off and we wrote the middle together. Uh, which is nice. Life is very short and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. And then it was George Harrison's idea to put the middle uh, into 3-4 time, like a German waltz, he says. Um, that, came on, uh, that came on the session. It was one of the cases of the arrangement being done on the session. So that was kind of a last-minute addition, which happens a lot when we're recording records. Um, but yeah, this is just such a great song. Um, first released December 3rd, 1965, uh, and only recorded like a month and a half earlier, which is, that's how fast they turned out singles. It was pretty crazy. Um, but again, this is one of my favorite Beatles songs, obviously my top 10. So this is number 10. Well, uh, we can work it out. Try to see it my way. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? While you see it your way, run the risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone. We can work it out, we can work it out Think of 
All right, there you go. We can work it out. What a great tune. Uh, yeah, so that middle section is pretty cool, right? The minor part is pretty awesome. I'm going to try to hold my guitar up to the microphone so you can kind of hear the... It's just cool. It's the uh, the Life is Very Short. is goes into the B minor, but that waltzy 3-4 part. So basically, to switch from 4-4 four, four to 3-4, four, it's, doing, it's doing this. Um, So there you go. 4, 4 to 3, 4. That's how it's done, folks. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed that one. Next one is uh, also another sentimental one because this was uh, this was the first Beatles song I learned on guitar. Uh, my dad helped me with it, of course, because I was pretty young and I didn't really know how to figure out things by ear quite yet. I was buying tab books at the local music store, a place called Coast Music, which was awesome. And uh, yeah, In My Life was the first one I learned on guitar. And um, I remember just being really fascinated by this. And it had a really cool chord in, in the... In the in the verse where it kind of does a a little like it's just, it's it goes up one step on the on the bass note and I'll show you real quick on guitar, but this is the verse. So that chord right there, which is really cool, to A over G. So one more time, and then I didn't know about this either. The four chord, which in this case is the D D to a D minor. That kind of stuff just blew me away. And I think that was the genius of the Beatles, especially, you know, if I was a kid back in the 60s learning how to play guitar, that, I mean, I can't imagine what my dad was thinking hearing this stuff when he was learning to play guitar. You know, he, I think my dad started playing guitar in, I think, early high school. So that would have been about 1964, 65. And so stuff like that just, you know, continually blows me away when I hear just well-written songs that have really cool, unique chord changes like that. It's not just three chords, you know, nothing, there's anything wrong with that, you know. That's the Ramones, and I love the Ramones. But, but anyways, in my life, 
great tune. Um, this is a uh, you know one written by Lennon lyrically. Um, McCartney has claimed that he has you know, wrote most of the music to it, stuff like that. But what's really cool was in a, uh, a 1980 interview, Lennon ref- uh, referred to this song as the first real major piece of work that he wrote because it was the first time he penned personal lyrics about his own life. And you know, the original lyrics, you know, had uh, references to Penny Lane and Strawberry Field, you know, places in, in and around Liverpool and along the bus route he used to take and uh, decided to scrap that and write something very personal. So pretty cool. This is the first time we hear John Lennon writing about his own personal life. Um, another cool fact about the song, uh, George Martin, of course, was their you know, famous producer who did all their records. Um, he actually contrib- contributed the uh, piano solo, which most people, if you hear this for the first time, it sounds like a harpsichord. But what it was was a piano solo that they recorded and sped up. So they basically, he recorded a piano solo to it, and they what they probably did, Paul could better explain this, but they probably took their tape machine, slowed it down uh, to where it sounds, you know, you know, kind of, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Slow down. Um, that's a good impression, right? Thank you. Um, so he recorded a, a, a piano solo to it very slow, then they sped it back up to normal song speed, and that's what it sent, why it sounds like a harpsichord. So it's a sped up piano solo, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, but anyways, this is off uh, what has become probably my favorite Beatles record besides Abbey Road, which is Rubber Soul, uh, released in uh, December of 1965. And uh, again, just to think like in that time, you know, I remember my dad always taught me, you know, basically between Elvis and the Beatles, you, what bridged the rock and roll gap was surf music, which of course I love because I put out a surf record this year. And um, so, you know, for the Beatles to come out and just like blow people's minds with, you know, the quality of songwriting they're doing, you know, I've never been a big Elvis fan. I think it's fine and stuff like that. But this was like sophisticated shit, in my opinion. And um, so a song like, you know, In My Life, you know, coming out in 1965, I mean, I, I'd imagine if you're a young guitar player trying to figure this out, it was like, what are they doing? You know, now those chord changes seem pretty simple to me. But if I was a beginner guitar player back then, I, they, it, this would have been from another planet. I mean, almost, probably every record they did would be from another planet, especially the late '60s stuff. But, um, but yeah. Anyways, this is uh, this is in my life. This is one, again one of my favorite songs. This is number nine on my top ten list. So uh, enjoy. <laughs> Love you more 
All right, there you go. In my life, what a beautiful song, right? Gosh, one of my favorites. It's hard to believe that I have eight more songs to go because, I mean, it, it, you know, at any other time that could be my number one song. I don't know. And at one point, I think uh, it wasn't Rolling Stone, or which magazine it was, called that the best song of all time. And I got to say, it's up there, in my opinion. It's pretty damn amazing. Um, anyways, moving on to uh, number eight. Um, I'm going with uh, the song called I've Just Seen a Face, which is off of the Beatles' Help album, which was released in 1965, uh, August. Which, by the way, let's just point out for the fact, because uh, this is insane. In 1965, they released Help and Rubber Soul. Like, three months apart. <laughs> it's just, it's maybe four months. It's just insane. These guys just wrote so many good songs and just got in the studio and just like hacked it out. Um, yeah, pretty crazy. So uh, anyways, I've just seen a face off of Help. Um, Rubber Soul, by the way, is often considered kind of the, the turning point where they started to really get away from their, their kind of original sound of just the straight kind of rock and roll and experiment a little bit more. But you can kind of hear a lot of that on Help as well. They, they started to kind of branch out on some things, you know, you know in, including this song right here. You know, this, is, this is basically like a country western song. You know, you don't have any fiddle or pedal steel on or anything like that. But um, this this song, I've just seen a face, didn't really sound like you know the early stuff. Um, still very upbeat, kind of happy sounding. Um, it's, you know, it's been described as a cheer- cheerful love ballad, um, but a very very cool song. Uh, you know, one of my favorites, of course. You know, credited as Lennon McCartney, but uh, it was written by Paul McCartney. Uh, a lot of their stuff they just credited together, just because I don't know why they're handshake deal or something. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, the, the song uh, the lyrically discusses, you know, love at first sight, you know, walk in vain, uh, the, the singer's associated excitement and inart- inarticulateness. Um, it's, you know, kind of a fun, you know, very uh, somewhat innocent, you know, you're falling in love with somebody, you know, and you don't really know what to say and stuff like that. So what better way than to pen it on paper? Um, but yeah, really cool song and uh, recorded at EMI Studios, which is, you know, what became Abbey Road Studios and still is to this day. Um, probably one of the most, if not most legendary studios in the world. Uh, I've never been there. I know Clint visited, uh, at least got to see the outside of it. Um, I have not done that, which is insane that I've never done that. And I've been to London like 20 plus times. Ugh, I'm a bad Beatles fan, I guess. Um, but, uh, the other thing that really blew my mind, a uh, little fact about when this song was recorded, it was recorded at EMI studios, Abbey Road on the same day that they did. I'm down and Paul did yesterday. I mean, that's just yesterday is, you know, that's considered one of the greatest songs of all time, of course. But yeah, just insane that in uh, in a one day session, those three songs were recorded. Um, but yeah, I'm 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 really excited to listen to this one. And by the way, as I'm recording this, I'm not just like inserting the songs and moving on. Like I'm sitting back with my headphones on. I got a glass of uh, Southern Comfort. Actually, I haven't had Southern Comfort in probably ten to fifteen years, and I had a bottle that someone gave me for a few months, and I decided to open it up. So little uh, little Soco, as they call it. But anyways, oh, here's another fun thing about this about this uh, this song in particular. So a lot of their stuff, you know, was released in the UK and had a different US release and a different Canadian release. Meaning, sometimes the, the obviously the cover would be different. Sometimes the album title would be different. You know, um, like the second Beatles record with the Beatles is in America was called the Beatles second album. Like you couldn't get more blunt than that. Um, but this actually was on the first U.S. release of Rubber Soul, which is just it's so weird how they did, made those decisions back then. I'd, I'd love to know more about that kind of stuff. Maybe they'll do a documentary about that. I don't know. That would be cool. 
But uh, anyways, let's let's get to it. Uh, I'm really excited about this tune. I've just seen a face. Enjoy. I've just seen a face I can't forget the time or place where we just met. She's just a girl for me and I want all the world to see we've met. Had it been another day, I might have looked the other way And I'd have never been aware But as it is, I'll dream of her tonight Falling, yes I'm falling And she keeps calling me back again I have never known the like of this I've been alone and I have missed things and kept out of sight But other girls were never quite like this Falling, yes I'm falling And she keeps calling me back again Falling, yes I'm falling And she keeps calling me back again I've just seen a face, I can't forget the time Or place where we just met, she's just a girl for me And I want all the world to see we've met mm-hmm. Falling, yes I'm falling And she keeps calling me back again Falling, yes I'm falling And she keeps calling me back again Oh yeah, I've just seen a face. What a great tune! I know I don't need to keep repeating that because it's the Beatles. They're all good tunes. Let's be honest. Uh, moving on, uh, I can't make a top ten list and not include at least one George Harrison composition. Of course, kind of the unsung hero of the Beatles, in my opinion. He um, he had a he had an uphill battle in the Beatles. I think you know he. He was in a band with the two greatest songwriters that ever lived, uh, and one still living, of course. So imagine, you know, being in a band with a guy like John Lennon and Paul McCartney, and con- trying to contribute your songs, you know. Um, and I think in, in the Get Back documentary, you can kind of see, you know, maybe not them not taking him serious, but it's like, you know, there's a there's a, a scene where he's showing um, them "I Me Mine," which is a great George song, by the way. And they don't seem that interested in it, you know. Of course, it ended up, you know, being a Beatles song, but you know, like I said, it's an uphill battle. You really have to work your ass off to impress George, or sorry, uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney. You know, I can't imagine being in that position, you know, working your ass off, let's say, for weeks on one song, and 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 coming into the studio and it's like, hey, check this out, and they're like, yeah, that's okay, uh, that's fine. Here's Hey Jude, you know, whatever. But um. But the songs that, the George songs that did end up on Beatles records, I mean, they're amazing. Like, he, he wrote some really incredible stuff. And um, and if you also haven't heard his album, All Things Must, uh, Must Pass, uh, which I think hits its 50th anniversary here soon, um, that's kind of George's solo masterpiece. It's it's pretty pretty damn incredible. Um, but anyways, the, uh, the first George song I'm going to choose here at number seven is the song Something. And uh, this was on Abbey Road, which came out in October 69. And 
I mean, this is one of George's many great songs. He uh, he wrote for the Beatles, and uh, you know, this one I I can't imagine John or Paul looking at this going, yeah, that that sucks. You know, um, I I doubt any of his songs were uh, on record based off sympathy. Like, oh, okay, we feel bad for him. Let's give him a song. Um, but you know. I would think that George is, you know, he knew that, you know, he's with the two of the best songwriters ever and he's he's got to work extra hard just to get those songs through. And uh, there is, you know, some debate on the meaning of the song that that, that might be the subject of it. Um, originally, it was considered a love song to uh, his first wife, Patty Boyd. Um, but George Harrison has uh, kind of cited alternative sources of the inspiration in uh, different interviews and stuff like that. Um, one being that, you know, he uh, owned up to the difficulty he faced getting more than two of his compositions onto each Beatles album. Um, and here's what's crazy. He first offered the song to Joe Cocker and he actually produced a demo of it at Abbey Road for Joe Cocker. And I think that appears on his first, the first Joe Cocker record. Um, but I know that there is a, uh, I read an article, uh, here before I did this, that there was a Beatles historian that basically says that Joe Cocker re-recorded it, but I don't really know the truth. I'm not a Beatles historian, but I'll take the guy's word for it, I guess. But let's all be thankful that uh, this ended up on Abbey Road because, I mean, this is hands down one of the most beautiful George Harrison songs he's ever done. Um, yeah, I, I, I need to say no more. They, listen to this song right now. Here's something.
I would encourage you all to uh, maybe take a listen to that song again. And uh, if you can, ignore the beautiful vocals, melodies, lead guitar by George Harrison, and pay attention to Paul's bass and Ringo's drums. Those dudes really shine on this song. Paul's bass line on this song is is just insane. There's so many cool, cool parts he plays. And uh, Ringo, you know, it's a tale as old as time. But, uh, you know, the comparison um, kind of to Lars with Metallica, for instance, where people are like, oh, he sucks and this and that, and he's not technically a good drummer. Um, listen, we don't, you know, want to hear the Beatles with Carter Buford playing, right? Carter's an amazing drummer. He fits Dave Matthews' band. But we don't want to hear Beatles songs with that kind of drumming. Ringo played what the songs needed. And when you're in a band with two of the greatest songwriters ever, if there's an issue with the drums and it's not working with the guy that's playing them, bye-bye, you're gone. Um, you know, Ringo never got kicked out of the Beatles. They, they, they loved having him there, and he played what was needed. Sometimes were, that, were those, you know, uh, John and Paul's ideas? Maybe so, but he executed them, and he came up with some great parts, you know. Um, and something is, is, is a great example of a lot of the cool Tom stuff he was doing and... Um, there's that one part where it's like Tom and hi-hat doing like this eighth note thing. It's super cool. But um, yeah, go back and listen to that again and uh, pay attention to those parts. And here we go with number six. Um, this is a, this is an interesting, interesting song. Um, I have friends that are Beatles fans that don't really care for this song. I think it's uh, an incredible tune um, off Revolver. It's Eleanor Rigby. And there are no drums in this song, which is kind of rad. Um, you know, you don't often hear that, you know, when it's when it's a full band sounding thing. You know, of course, you've got the three other dudes playing and then uh, George Martin, you know, arranging all these strings and all that stuff. And um, but this is when they were getting real exper- experimental. You know, they you know were mainly known as this rock and roll kind of pop band. And once they stopped touring, all of a sudden, you know, they're this studio band. So they don't need to worry about what bands have to worry about now, which is, oh, we did that in the studio. Crap. How are we going to do that live? Because they were done playing live, so it's like, well, screw it. Let's just have fun. Let's do whatever we want on this stuff. So this is this song. Eleanor Rigby is a great example of that. You know, um, I mean, just tons of strings on it. You know, tons of backup vocals, all that kind of stuff. Um, but this is a really cool song. Um, came out on Revolver, of course. Like I said, uh, came out in 1966 in August, and it was uh, shared the double A side with Yellow Submarine, which side note is not one of my favorite Beatles songs. <laughs> All the stuff that Ringo sang, I really like. Uh, other than Yellow Submarine, it's just not my vibe. And I'm sorry if Clint is listening and loves that song. I just don't care for it. Um, but Eleanor Rigby, man, I think it's just one of those tunes that's just, you know, I don't know. There's there's artists now that like attempt to do, you know, I don't know. Is it an opus? Is it you know whatever it is? It's this. It's this. The song is this journey. It's this. It's this piece of music that is just. I don't know. It, like you got to be from another planet to think of, think to write stuff like this. You know, I'm sure artists out there who are obsessed with the Beatles that have their own music or their own bands or whatever, you know, can come close. But I don't know. To me, like you can't write an Eleanor Rigby. It's just insane. Um, I would never think to write something like that. But again, I'm not a even in on the same you know, in the same galaxy as these dudes. But uh, let's listen to Eleanor Rigby. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, we'll talk after it's done. Bye-bye.
church where a wedding has been Lives in a dream, waits at the window Wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door Who is it for all the lonely people? Where do they all come from? All the lonely people Where do they all belong? Mackenzie, writing the words of a sermon that no one will hear. No one comes near, look at him working, darning his socks in the night when there's nobody there. What does he care, all the lonely people? Where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? Pretty cool, right? Just strings and vocals. So you see what I'm saying as far as like, uh, they can't do that live. I mean, they'd have to have a full-on string section tour with them or uh, at least play one show with them, which is possible, obviously, but at that point, they had already decided, like, no, we're, we're a studio band. That's all that's happening. So, all right, moving on to number five. Uh, this is uh, one of my favorite uh, Lennon songs. Um, possibly the longest Beatles song. Pretty awesome, though. It's off Abbey Road. It's called I Want You. She's So Heavy. Um, the intro to the song that's in 6-8, kind of arpeggio guitar thing happening, is one of my favorite Beatles moments ever. It's really, really beautiful. Um, again, I'm very attracted to minor key kind of stuff. So, uh, And this teeters between that vibe and like a blues kind of feel, which is really cool. Um yeah, I don't know. Uh, the intro to the song, you know, that that happens many times in the song. And it's kind of the outro, and I could listen to that chord progression for longer than this song is. You know, the song's seven minutes and forty-seven seconds. Like I said, I, I I could you could put it on repeat for ten minutes, and I would not be bummed out about that. Um, but this is a really a really cool story. You know, with this song is it was it was one of the first songs they started recording at Abbey for Abbey Road at Abbey Road. Um, but one of the last songs to be finished, um, and this is the song that is the last time all four Beatles were together in the studio, um, which is cool. So you're kind of hearing like the end of the Beatles with this song, you know, um, shoot, maybe this should have been number one. I don't know. Um, but he saw, he, you know, Lennon wrote the song about his love for Yoko Ono. Um, obviously all this stupid debate about her and breaking up the Beatles and all that BS. Um, it's not true. If you've seen Get Back, it gets addressed, not the breakup, but kind of her, her, uh, her vibe and her hanging around John right next to him while they're writing and stuff like that. Um, man, they were just, they were just deeply in love. There's, you know, no other way to say it, you know? And if you watch Get Back, like, it's not like she's leaning over going, hey, you should change that lyric to this and you should do this. And she's just chilling. I mean, listen, if I was dating a Beatle back then and, I, and it, it, they were all cool with me hanging next to the 
person I was dating, I would love to have been sitting there while they were writing those songs. Are you kidding me? That would be incredible. Um, but yeah, you know, there's, there's, there's not many more, I think, maybe pure uh, rock and roll love stories than Lennon and Yoko Ono. They were madly in love with each other, and uh, I respect it. That's awesome. Uh, but the song's about her. And uh, there, there's, a, there's a, uh, a cool quote from George Harrison about this song. He says, uh, it's very heavy. John plays lead guitar and sings at the same time he plays. It's really basically a bit like a blues, <clears throat> a bit like the blues, excuse me. Uh, the riff that he sings and plays is a very basic blues type thing, but again, it's a very original sort of John type thing. So let's check it out. I hope you enjoy it. Again, fucking John Lennon, one of the greatest two songwriters ever. Check it out.
man, what a trip, right? <clears throat> that whole ending is just like I said. I could I, that could go on for the ten minutes, and I'd sit here with my headphones on, my eyes closed, and just off to Never Neverland. There's a Metallica reference. Um, <laughs> all right, next coming at number four. Oh, by the way, that cool like white noise sound is an old Moog or Moog Moog. However you pronounce it, Moog synth. Um, I just love that that starts fading in for the last couple of minutes and it just, it just adds this chaos to what I think is just a very beautiful chord progression. You know, you have the kind of the arpeggiated picking of the main guitar and there's another drop tune guitar with the bass doubling that cool walking line. It's just, it's just so beautifully written and, um, yeah, I can't get over that one. That'll be my top 10 forever. I think, um, but yeah, that, that Moog synth just adds this chaos to it, and then all of a sudden there's that abrupt ending where it's like, oh, that's it. You know, it almost it almost feels like the ending credits to some some, you know, outer space movie. Maybe maybe the ending credits of a Lunar Satan documentary. That's probably what it is. Um, <laughs> so continuing with uh, John Lennon, uh this next tune, it, it is a Lennon McCartney tune and McCartney did have some uh, uh you know, actual writing on this one. Even though a lot of their own writings were Lennon McCartney. But uh, this, to me, is another great Lennon, Lennon uh, tune. A Day in the Life is what we're talking about. Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, released in May of 1967. And, uh, yeah, this is a really, really cool tune. Um, John wrote most of this song. Uh, Paul contributed primarily to the song's middle section. Um, but a lot of Lennon's lyrics in this tune were inspired by contemporary newspaper articles, including the death of Guinness heir, Tara Brown, um, but yeah, and then the middle section, Paul writes about his younger years, which is including, uh, according, to, according to Wikipedia, riding the bus, smoking, and going to class. <laughs> there, there is a, a fun thing between the two of those guys that, you know, you know I think John got deeper. Uh, not that what Paul wrote wasn't deep, but um, John went to just different way different places, I think, than Paul did. And I don't know if that's attributed to drug use or just open-mindedness or whatever. Um, now, there is even a drug reference in this song, but... The drug uh, reference in the line, uh, I'd love to turn you on, resulted in the song being banned uh, from broadcast by the BBC, uh, which is cool. But uh, also on on this song, I think what's uh, cool to point out is the ending chord is considered one of the most famous in music history um, because the song inspired the creation of what is called the Deep Note, an audio trademark for the THX Film Company. Um, And the you, you've probably heard this, you know, with um, in Lucasfilm stuff. So the Deep Note debuted at the premiere of Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi in Los Angeles. So the sound is used on trailers for THS, THX certified <clears throat> movie theaters and home video releases, video games also. Um, but uh, yeah, so pretty crazy. I mean, this is this is one of those things about the Beatles that like they had no idea they were you know, influencing something, you know, 10 plus years later. Um, but we'll hear that, you know, that the chord that rings out the very end lasts for like 40 seconds or something. It's pretty cool. So uh, all that to say, let's check out a day in the life. And then 
How's that for an ending chord? <laughs> At one point, just right before I started talking, you could hear, I think, what sounds like a chair creaking, like maybe someone leaned back in their chair or something, but really cool, right? So if you're familiar with the THX deep note, uh, you heard the inspiration for that two times in the song. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm going to play you the actual TH- THX deep note uh, that you heard before movie trailer started. So check this out. there you go there's the deep note if you don't know that then i don't know what to tell you i don't there's all hope is lost (laughs) all right moving on we are getting down to the wire here in our top three okay my number three song uh another harrison song and if you're a beatles fan you've probably guessed it by now uh what many people myself included would consider maybe one of his masterpiece songs while my guitar gently weeps now this thing, uh, I mean, the second it starts, it gives me chills. Um, you know, a lot of that is probably due to the fact that George is no longer with us. Uh, he died in the early 2000s. But um, yeah, this song is just beautiful, you know. And um, if, if you're not a Beatles fan or haven't really dug into, you know, any history with them or song meanings and, and read books and things like that, you might think, like, it's a song about a guitar, <laughs> Well, it's not. <laughs> it definitely is not. Um, George wrote this song uh, after the Beatles returned from India. Uh, they were studying um, uh, transcendental meditation. And um, basically he wrote the song as, as a bit of a comment on the disharmony within the Beatles following their return from India. Um, and it's just such a beautiful song. I mean, it's been covered by numerous people. Um, this was, you know, this was performed at a concert for George in November 2002 after a year, about a year after his death, um, you know, which included Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr, by the way, which is very cool. And Eric Clapton played all the lead guitar on it. Um, it's just, I don't know. It's just a beautiful song. Um, Paul plays that great piano part at the very beginning, which is kind of like the melody that, that George wrote for vocals. Um, yeah, man, I, this song just really moves me a lot. It really does. Um, I don't really know. I could read a bunch of facts about it, but I just kind of want to listen to it because it's just, it's so beautiful. Um, yeah, let's just do that. How about that? Okay. Be back soon. No. 
There you go. While my guitar gently weeps, one of the finest pieces of recorded music ever, in my opinion. Um, let's just say it's a fact. That is an objective fact. <laughs> it's really amazing. Um, even even simple stuff in that song, like Ringo's drum pattern right at the beginning, just the 
just the kick drum and hi-hat thing. It's so cool and simple and unique. Um, yeah, I mean, there's plenty of, you know, busy drummers out there that could have done something, you know, busy. But that's not what Ringo was. You know, Ringo lent his talent to the song. He played what was necessary. And in, as far as I'm concerned, what he played at the beginning of that song, really the whole song, but the, the kick drum hi-hat thing, to me, is is what was perfect for that song. Um, and it's a very deep and heavy song. I mean, you know, there's, there's, I think, multiple meanings to that song, but, you know, the fact that it was a bit of a commentary on the Beatles' relationship coming back from India, it's pretty sad, let's be honest. Um, but that's the thing, you know, great, great music, you know, stems from those things. And uh, I'm very thankful that we still have that music to listen to today. And we'll listen to it till the day we're gone. And um, yeah, thank you, George Harrison, wherever you are. All right, moving on. We got our top two. Only two songs left in my Beatles top 10. Now, this next song, um, maybe some people have guessed it. I don't know. But um, this is a, a song that is easily one of the most popular Beatles song ever, even though it only features one Beatle. One Beatle and a string quartet. Of course, the song I'm talking about is Yesterday. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I do know a friend who is a huge, huge Beatles fan. Puts me to shame. I don't even, I, I wouldn't claim that I'm a massive Beatles fan. I love the Beatles. I love listening to them. I love dissecting things. But there's people that blow me out of the water, of course. And he doesn't actually like this song, which is crazy to me. But Yesterday is just one of those tunes. Um, uh, I think it's one of the most perfect um, melodies ever. Um, it's 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 pretty insane, you know. And this was recorded in June of '65, released in August of '65. Again, the turnaround on these songs, geez, it's it's, it's just crazy. I mean, it just I, I don't know. Three months later, the song's out, but it was on the album Help. Um, and the crazy thing is 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 the uh, the single. Uh, the B-side was Act Naturally, which is just, you know, this country tune sang by Ringo, you know, written by Johnny Russell. It's just like, <laughs> of all songs to, 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 to pair together, it just seems interesting. But um, this song, I mean, to this day in 2021 is still insanely popular. It's one of the most recorded and covered songs in the history of music. It's, it's insane. There's more than 2,200 covers out there of this song. I mean, just, you know, try to put yourself as a songwriter in the shoes of Paul McCartney and you wrote a song that there's over 2,000 versions of. It's just, it's just mind-blowing to me, right? Um, in 97, the song was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame, which is awesome. Um, and then according to BMI, the Broadcast Music Incorporated, they say that the song has, per- has been performed over 7 million times in the 20th century. Imagine that. That's just, that's just, that's, that's mind-blowing. Um, again, like I said, Paul McCartney is the only Beatles member to appear on the track. Um, and what's crazy is that it wasn't released as a single until after the, way after they broke up in 1976, and it only peaked at number eight. This is the kind of song that I would I would assume would just be number one forever, <laughs> you know. 
Whatever the the top ten number one songs of all time are, uh, I don't know how this is not there. It's just insane. But anyways, um, if you're listening with headphones on, crank it up. This is one of the most beautiful songs ever written. And the man that wrote this song, it's still walking this earth. That's 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 pretty amazing. Paul McCartney is obviously still with us, still making really good music. And uh, we're all walking the same planet as a Beatle. Two Beatles, technically, but we're, st- we're all still walking the same planet as the man that wrote this song. Yesterday All my troubles seemed so far away Now it looks as though they're here to stay Oh, I believe in yesterday Suddenly I'm not half the man I used to be There's a shadow hanging over me Oh, yesterday came suddenly Why she had to go I don't know, she wouldn't say I said so Yesterday, love was such an easy game to play. Now I need a place to hide away. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Why? Such an easy game to play Now I need a place to hide away Oh, I believe in yesterday mm-hmm. I'm not crying, you're crying. Come on. I mean, geez, that's insane. Um, I was reading that Paul McCartney, when he finished the song, he actually sat on it for a few months because he thought he was plagiarizing somebody. He thought that this is so good that for sure someone's written this or someone's written something very similar. I mean, that's just the that's just the power of those songwriters is that they wrote stuff so good that surely someone else has done this, right? But no, they did it first. <laughs> that's the beauty of this band is like a song like Yesterday... I mean, even even today in 2021, it still sounds like one of the most classic pieces of music ever, you know? So it's no wonder that Paul was like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure someone wrote this, you know. I don't do a good Paul McCartney, by the way. Uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, number one, here we go. Now, uh, this, I mean, this might be an obvious choice. I don't know. Uh, maybe it has something to do with the fact that uh, I just, you know, recently watched Get Back. And there's a scene where they're just hanging out on the side, and all of a sudden Paul McCartney's in the background working out this song. And also, uh, something that's insane to me is that, you know, um, the Let It Be record, the song is Let It Be, by the way. Spoiler alert. 
But the record let it be, you know, um, they recorded it before Abbey Road, recorded Abbey Road, put out Abbey Road, and then put out Let It Be after that in 1970. So this song, Let It Be, was sat on for over a year. That just, you know, I don't know what was going through their heads, but apparently they didn't think it was good enough to be on Abbey Road, (laughs) which is another masterpiece, of course. But the song Let It Be, they're like, no, let's just let's let's hang on to that for later, I guess. But um yeah, just insane to me, you know, and obviously this is now one of their most, you know, well known songs for sure. Um, written by Paul McCartney, of course. And this song, I mean, it's it's just a great a great tune, you know, released in uh, March of nineteen seventy. Um the B side was You Know My Name. And, uh, I mean, you know, what else is there to say about this song? Oh, I will say this, actually. Uh, so the final version of Let It Be had a bunch of extra production by Phil Spector, his famous wall of sound, a lot of orchestral stuff, things like that, um, different mixes, whatever. But um, I encourage everyone to listen to the release they put out called Let It Be Naked, which is the original version of the album Let It Be without anything uh, Phil Spector did. Um, it was you know, as they recorded it back in 69. So everything, all the Phil Spector stuff was added later because they weren't really happy with it when it was finished, you know, um, which seems absolutely bonkers to me. But uh, yeah, listen to Let It Be Naked because that, that, that is what initially happened in the studio in 1969. So, um, but yeah, so this is another one of those versions, man. I mean, it's, it, this song is so good. It's, it's insane. Um, this is like four chord song, basically. It's so cool. Uh, oh, one last thing before we play the song to listen to is uh, the um, Giles Martin mixes of this record that just came out this year. Um, he has gone back and, and mixed a couple Beatles albums and Abbey Road included. And uh, they're really fun to listen to. Um, I can't say enough good things about them. So uh, check those out. Check out Let It Be Naked. And uh, without further ado, let's conclude this thing with my number one Beatles song, the Giles Martin mix, 2021, of Let It Be. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be And in my hour of darkness She is standing right in front of me Speaking words of wisdom Let it be 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 Whisper words of wisdom Let it be And when the broken-hearted people living in the world agree, there will be an answer, let it be. For though they may be parted, there is still a chance that they will see. There will be an answer, let it be. Let it be, let it 
night is cloudy There is still a light that shines on me Shine until tomorrow, let it be I wake up to the sound of music Mother Mary comes to me Speaking words of wisdom, let it be Hey everyone, Clinton Ethan here, and we want to tell you about a little thing called Patreon. Patreon is an easy and interactive way to support the people who make the things that you love. For as little as five bucks a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast can continue to grow in quality and content. That's equivalent to a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. Not only is it easy and affordable, but we've made it a priority since day one to give back to our Patreon community. We've given away deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, black and whiskey, concert tickets to SNM2 and Slane Castle, all four of our Cover Our World Black and EPs, 26 quarantine covers, and Lunar Satan demos, invitations to exclusive Zoom happy hours, the ability to ask our guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, Lizzie Hale, and members of the Metallica crew your very own questions, and eligibility for our Metal Tales series where you can be a guest on Metal Up Your Podcast and tell us all about a notable Metallica show you've been to. Subscribe to Patreon today and immediately get access to years worth of bonus content. Thank you for supporting the people who make the things that you love. Peace. Adios. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little, yellow, different.